for you to go with me to 2 Kings. And this morning, as you make your way there, this is certainly, this is certainly my personal opinion, but this morning, one of the greatest communicators and ministers and singers in the kingdom was supposed to preach to you. Uh, my cousin Kent was supposed to be here to minister. He has touched the world. God has used him in so many great and wonderful ways. And at the last minute, all loaded up to head this way from Tampa, the motor on their Lexus blew, and uh, they were unable to make arrangements to come. But we, uh, especially last night around 11 o'clock, I sure wish he was on board to preach, to teach, because I did all week I just did honeydew things and didn't really feel like that I had uh, received a word from the Lord. But this morning, about 8.15, he woke me up. Aren't you glad? He woke you up this morning and started you on your way. And you're blessed going in. You're blessed going out. I opened the window, looked at my beautiful garden just to see what, um, what had bloomed overnight. And there, there actually were some perennials that bloomed overnight. And, and looking at God's creation, all that God has done and said, I feel like the Lord gave me a word entitled, Knock Three Times. Knock Three Times three times. Many of you my age will immediately relate to uh, Tony Orlando and Don where he said knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. Twice on the pipe means the answer is no. How many, what's the next? Oh my darling. Well there we got the first line in it anyway. If you looked out the window and I pull up the string to the note that's attached to my heart how many, how many are you, you're clueless, you have absolutely no idea what's going on. That's okay, because I don't either, because the next 30 minutes, I'm going to do my best to bluff my way through this. I'm my spiritual son and daughter, Desmond, and the baby here. And, uh, you know, it's times like this when people come that you really want to impress to show the impact they made on your life really was significant, and you really did learn something, and it's like, I got nothing, I tell you, I got nothing. And um, um, precious Robbie texted me, I think about 11.15, and she said, I can't talk, but don't worry about the message. I got it covered. So this morning we got here. She still can't talk. So whatever message she has, she'll have to teleport it and communicate it to you. Those of you that are really in tune with the vibes of God, you will get that. But I, I, um, I want to visit uh, a passage of Scripture. As most of you know, the past eight weeks have been uh, very motivational. We've talked about the butterfly effect. We've talked about... Uh, consider the source and talked about the greatness and the glory and the goodness of God. And we talked about commitment, faithfulness, and consistency. And this morning, I kind of want to follow that same, that same line of thought. And most of you were with me when we talked about Elisha being impacted by the life of Elijah. And like Alexander the Great, he burnt the ships. He destroyed his plow, killed his cows, fed the village and made it impossible for him to go back to the old life because there was a new door, there was a new window. He encountered a guy by the name of Elijah that had a school of prophets. There were actually 50 in this school being mentored by Elijah, but Elisha was not intimidated by seniority, was not intimidated by, by, by anything, but felt the call to follow Elijah. And we're coming to the, the very last moments of Elijah's life, and this morning... Uh, to take up some of the time that I'm required to fulfill. I thought I would just read like the entire book of Revelation and uh, <laughs> somewhere there you would, be, you would be blessed in all that. But if you look at 2 Kings, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse, and we're going we're to share about 14 verses. 
And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Everybody say restoration. restoration. Gilgal was a place of restoration. Gilgal was the place when they crossed the Jordan River with Joshua and about five million Israelites. It was there at Gilgal he set up camp. All the promises that God made to Moses, all the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were fulfilled at Gilgal. It was a place of restoration. So as they went to Gilgal, Elijah said to Elisha, and watch this, watch this, this, uh, this psychological effect that Elijah is trying to have on Elisha to see if he really is supposed to be his Timothy, if he really is supposed to follow in the order of Elijah. He actually, on three occasions, he will try to get rid of Elisha. And I want to tell you something, when you know what God has called you to do and you know what you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing, it's hard to run you off. If I can talk you out of preaching, you weren't called to preach. If I, if I can talk you out of, and I'll do my best to talk you out, I want to be a pastor like you and eat fried chicken and take off every Monday. Well, I never eat fried chicken and Monday's probably the most busiest day on my agenda. But when you are called of God, there is a determination, there's a a squaring of the shoulder, a lifting of the head, a, 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 a season of bracing where no matter what storm, no matter what challenge comes against you, you know where you're supposed to be, and that's why you stay the course. Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Everybody say worship. worship. Bethel is the place of worship. When Jacob encountered the angel, which, which is actually we believe was the Lord pre-incarnate before as he was the word, as Jacob encountered the Lord there and had a name change and began to worship. Something that is so cool about worship and so cool about Calvary that no matter what name you walked in the door with, it may have been drug addict or alcoholic or loser or depressed or frustrated or broke. Can anybody relate? When you find that place in the shadow of the cross, there is a new name written down in glory. And all of a sudden, you realize what your purpose really is. This podium was, was, was built just for me to hold my Bible at just the right elevation that I could actually see the words with my high-powered glasses. This microphone was designed, was designed to project my voice. So as this podium has purpose and as this microphone has purpose, so do you have purpose. And your purpose is not to become rich and famous. Your purpose is not to see how many toys you can acquire before you die because we all die. But your purpose is to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Your instruments of praise and worship, that's why God gave you hands and that's why God gave you a voice to worship and declare his goodness in Zion. Do I have a friend in the house? So as you find that place of restoration, then you step into the place of worship. When you realize where Jesus brought you from to where you are today, you have a reason to brag. You have a reason to be excited. Someone said something about the good old days. I don't like the good old days. There's really nothing about the good old days I like. Who enjoyed uh, hugging a toilet all night because you had too much to drink? Who enjoyed going through two or three days of blah because you ate too many pills? Can anybody relate? Someone said, well, I want to have good times like you have. You know what? I don't remember a lot of good times. I just remember a lot of pain and frustration. But if you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. I have a reason to shout. I have a reason to be excited. I am not dead. I did a bunch of stupid things, but I survived. I'm alive. There's a new name written down in glory. I'm not sure what it is, but when I get 
get there, he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I make you ruler over many. Make sure you attach those few things that God has purposed and planned in your life. And the most important thing is to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, step into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him, bless his holy name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth for all generations. Oh, I feel something this morning. I feel the presence of God just got just sit right here on my shoulder and is speaking to me. Let's read a little farther. I never, I never knew reading about the, the Word of God could be so excited. Did you, Josh? Elijah said, unto, Elijah said, Terry here, I pray that the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elijah said to him, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Look at somebody and say, determination. So they went down to Bethel. They went down to the place of worship. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest that the Lord will take away thy, ma thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yes, I know it. Shut up. Yes, I know it. You know, sometimes the, the Bible is so humorous when you read between the lines. Elijah, Elijah just told the other prophet, just say, you know, hold your, hold your peace, hold your tongue. I know exactly what's going on. God has kind of guided me and directed me for this day. Notice, if you will, verse 4. And Elijah, Elijah said unto him, Terry, here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Jericho represents the place of breakthrough. Jericho was the anniversary of being in the desert for 40 years, murmuring and complaining and never being attached to the promises. You had the blessings of God, you had the provision of God, but you weren't walking in the promises of God. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you from the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. But all this congregation wanted to do was to gripe and complain. And so God allowed all of them to die out in the wilderness and the next generation. Look at somebody and say, the next generation. I really believe that we are part of the next generation because of our music and our shoes. I mean, my, my aunts can relate today to the 50s to the bebop, to the crimson and clover, to the early days of Elvis. That generation had their own music and they had their own shoes. They were called PF Flyers. They had their own music, their own shoe. And then as the next generation involved, we see another generation of rock and roll. And I think our shoe was the Nike. I'm trying to think it was the Nike. And then there's the next generation of the, the grunge and the heavy metal and the rap and all of that. And they had their own shoes, and I think that was Adidas. But this generation does not have a, a song. It does not have a shoe. Because when the Lord comes, there will be a new song that will come forth from their mouth. And on their shoes will be the gospel of peace. I believe that we're looking at that next generation that's tired of the murmuring, complaining, all the frustrations of the church. They want to see miracles. They want to see breakthrough. They want to see the real deal. And thank God for that generation that wants to see the real deal. Do I have a friend in the house this morning? So they, they go to Jericho. Notice verse 5. The sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, and said to him, Knowest that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? Andrew said, Yea, I know. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Terry here. Notice this. This is, the, this is the third time that Elijah is trying to see if Elisha is really sold out, if he really is committed to the cause, if he really is willing to abandon everything for the sake of the cause, regardless of the price. Regardless of the price. Notice what he says. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, and I pray thee, 
here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said unto him, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they two, the two went on. Jordan represents the place of transition. I have been to the river of Jordan. I have been baptized in the river Jordan. I had, a, I had a, an intent that when I was baptized, the river Jordan, that I had this great testimony I was going to share before I was baptized. But to be perfectly honest with you, the water was so cold, I felt there were ice chips floating in the river. And I have a picture of Marcus Lamb and John Price that baptized me. There's, there's, a, there's a stone wall that leaves the baptismal area, and then there's a, a rope or a chain. And Marcus was on the top of the wall, walking the wall so he wouldn't have to get in the water until the last minute. And I promise you, when I got in that river and I got baptized in the Jordan River, there was nothing spiritual about that moment. There was nothing holy about that moment. All I said was, I'll have more to say about this later. And here I am, 30-some-odd years later, still talking about that moment. But Jordan represents the place of transition. If you've been to the Jordan, the Jordan is much like the Mississippi River. It roars, especially in the fall when the water's blowing through. There was no bridge for them to, to, to cross. So when, when the waters of Jordan were split, it represented them going from one place to another. And I want to share with everyone in this house, regardless of how old you are, the seasons of your life, promotion is headed your way. You've been here long enough, and it's time now, I think, to move on to the next level, the next place that God has for, for us. And, the, and so notice, if you will, verse 7. And the 50 men of the, of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view far off. Well, I wish I had time to comment at those that are looking at a distance, hoping we fail. I, I like I, I, the, the ones that, that sit at a distance speaking negative or speaking stuff against us that we're not going to be what God wants us to be. But what is so cool, here is Elijah, here is Elisha at the place where they're supposed to be. Let me tell you something. As long as you live your life for the world, nobody, nobody gives a flying flip what you wear, what, what, how you dress, what car you drive. They, they, they don't care. Nobody cares. But the moment you give your heart to God and you begin to pursue the call of God, everybody has an opinion. What church you should go to, how you should wear your hair, what you should say, what kind of music you should listen to. Come on now. What kind of movies you, you should watch. There's always going to be people that will never get out of the boat. There'll be people that have the ability to get out of the boat. They heard the master's voice. They walked with the Lord. They saw his miracles. But for some reason, they will never get out of the boat. So to take away the fact that they're losers, they will, they will focus on the winners. You know what? I really like Marilyn Monroe and Dr. Till Lowry. I don't care what you say about me as long as you spell my name right. Come on now. Do I have a friend in the building? And so they stood a, they stood a view of far off. And the two stood by Jordan, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smoked the water. And they divided hither and thither so that the two went on over to dry ground. So Elijah walks right up this roaring river. There is no bridge. There is no way to cross. And so he takes his mantle, wraps it around his wrist, and he whacks the river. And the Bible says the, the river separated one direction and the other direction and they walked on dry ground. I don't believe it was swampy. I don't believe it was muddy. I really believe it was dry. Because when God's word says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Do I have a friend in the house? And it came to pass when they were gone over that, you know what? Just, just by two things I want to reflect on here is the horses and chariot 
and the parting of a river. You know, the, the word of God just so casually just makes a, a statement in the beginning. God, what a statement to say where he came from, who, who birthed him, who conceived him. But it just says he was there. And the Bible says he created the heavens and the earth. And we are still at a, at a wonder. We're amazed at the creation, the glory of God. But the, but the Bible just simply puts a little line and it says they parted the river and they walked, walked through on dry ground. You know, they could have parted the river and walked through mud. But when God does something, he does it right. He does it well. Everything God does is with excellence. If you don't believe me, look to your left, look to your right. We're all, we're all God's creation that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And what, how blessed we are to be what God's called us to be. Do I have a friend in the building? Amen. And it came to pass, Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what shall I do for thee before I be taken away from thee? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Elijah said, Thou wast ask a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken up from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. I don't believe that Elijah had the ability to give Elisha a double portion of the power or a double portion of the anointing. But I believe that Elijah had the ability to give Elisha a double portion of his spirit. There was a right spirit in Elijah. There was a winning spirit in Elijah. There was a determination in Elijah. All the things that God did through Elijah for him to soak his offering. Say a 67-word prayer, call down fire from heaven, to have the ability to defeat the prophets of Baal, to be able to effectively do what God had called him to do. There was a, there was a, there was a, a spirit of excellence about Elijah. I've shared with this body for several years, it's necessary for every Timothy to have a Paul, and for every Paul to have a Silas. You need a spiritual father, a mentor in your life. Then you need a peer in your life that you see things side to side. And here Elijah is telling Elisha, if you see me leave, you're going to get what you ask. How cool is that? Cool. And it passed as they, went, as they still went on. Look at somebody say they went, they went on. And talked and talked. That behold... There appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and it parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind unto heaven. And Elisha saw it, and notice, if you will, you have learned that when you see a statement repeated, it refers to the natural and to the spiritual. When God called Moses, Moses, Abraham, Abraham, here Elijah's going to say, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. I'm not sure why he did that. Maybe that was just some kind of policy the prophets had in those days. Maybe that's something Elijah taught them. When you see a move of God, you're supposed to rent your clothes into. I'm not going to rent my clothes. I went to a lot of trouble and cashed in all my, all my nickels and dimes for this suit several months ago, and I am not going to rent it into to impress you because it probably wouldn't impress you anyway. However, he took up also, look at somebody say also, the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? If you very quickly go with me to 2 Chronicles 20. We're going to come back here. If you want 2020 vision in the kingdom, 2 Chronicles 20, 20 says, believe the Lord also your God, so, you, so shall you prosper. Believe also his prophets, so shall you be established. This is a, an incredible passage of scripture where Jehoshaphat, 
who's doing the right thing, trying to be a godly king, trying to honor God, trying to lead the nation of Israel to worship God. And again, as long as you're living for the devil, nobody cares. But the moment you want to live for God, the accuser of the brethren, everything attached to that tries to stop you, hinder you, and hurt you. Jehoshaphat is in battle, and he's told that there's an enemy coming from one direction, and they have a name for that enemy. And then that enemy coming from another direction, and that enemy has a name. Then all of a sudden he's told that there's an enemy coming from the third direction, and they don't know who it is. I don't know who coined the statement that bad things happen in three. I don't know if that's just an old wives' tale. I can't find that in the word anywhere. But here, Jehoshaphat has the enemy coming in three different directions. You ever feel like, you know, uh, you know, like, like Job, it happened, and it's like, man, I, I just can't take it anymore. Then all of a sudden, something else will come upon you, and you say, I can't take it anymore. And then it's like something else that, that you say, and you say, Lord, you told me you wouldn't put more on me than I can handle. And God would say, you can handle more than you can think, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So Jehoshaphat is surrounded by the enemy. They're coming in three directions. So he calls a fast. He calls a worship. He calls a season of prayer. And Jehoshaphat does something very, to me, and I won't take the time to read them, but I will share the results of that. But if you look at 2 Chronicles 20, and notice verse 8, verse 6, I'm sorry. In the next four verses, the next six verses, Jehoshaphat will ask God five questions. Uh, several years ago, I had the privilege and the honor of traveling with my uncle and, and, and my cousin to Seoul, Korea. My uncle and, and nephew and cousin had created a school, and uh, they were actually uh, issuing, issuing doctorate, doctorates to those that had, that had completed the task of pursuing their doctorate, writing their thesis, and of uh, everyone on the platform had a degree except for me. The only de degree that I had, I believe I've got an AA somewhere. I'm, I'm real close to a bachelor's, but I, I really, I have, I have no pedigree and I have no license and I have not, nothing. <laughs> Did you get pedigree? Did you get it? The pedigree. And so they asked, they asked me to greet the doctors and to bless them. <laughs> that's, I'm telling you, that is just a really, I guess you really had to be there. The next Sunday we went, we went and preached in three different churches and they all laughed because I preached to the largest church and got the best offering. You never know what God is up to when you're, when you're where you're supposed to be and doing what he's called you to do. But one of the, the Korean uh, MCs made the observation. I thought this was so cool. He said, in America, when you read the Bible, you read it from left to right. And so he illustrated the left to right. He shook his head from his left shoulder to his right shoulder. He said, but here in Korea, we read the Bible from top to bottom like this, like this. And he went to illustrate. And therefore, he was pretty much showing that Americans are so negative even when they read the Bible. But the Koreans are so positive, they nod their heads because they know good things are going to happen. Here's the point that I want to make. In a season where it's not just him, it's not just his wife and babies, but it's the entire nation that he's responsible for. They're about to be destroyed. So what did Jehoshaphat do? He asked God five questions that can only be answered in the yes, positive tense. And when you hit a storm, when you're at a place where you feel like you can't go on, when you're at a place where you feel like all hell has come against you, don't get caught up in the moment with depression and discouragement and negativity. 
like Jehoshaphat, ask God questions that can only be answered in the positive, in the assertive. Are you not the God of Israel? He is. Did you not bring them out of, did you not feed them? Are you not this? Are you not that? And so five times, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, five times Jehoshaphat asked God five questions that are assertive. And then Jehoshaphat just throws in that, that, that little clip there and says, by the way, Lord, here we are. And we really kind of need you to show up. We really need you to show out. We need to really show up. We, we really need a yes answer in our life. We really need a positive moment in our life. We really need for old things to pass away, all things to become new. We really need for you to defend us. And the word said that there was a word from the Lord that the that one of the singers got up and began to sing and said, don't worry, don't fear, go to a certain place. You will not fight, but the Lord will fight for you. And I'm here to tell you today that he's still fighting for us. He's still battling for us, and he's still on our side. Very quickly, if you go back with me to 2 Kings. Verse 15. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Only one point here, Wes, I would like to make. Don't wait for activity or ability to determine your identity. Don't feel like that you have to accomplish something or you have to write something or you have to perform something or you have to re receive something to be what God has called you to be. You are affirmed before you are anointed. Now, the, the, the prophet saw this miracle and immediately they determined that the spirit of God that was on Elijah is on Elisha. But you know what? Elisha didn't care what their opinion was. He didn't care what their, what their mindset was. He had a thing going on with God. He knew who he was in the kingdom. God identified him before he anointed him. You will be identified before you will be anointed. When Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, John, his cousin, baptized him, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When you knelt at a place called Calvary and you allowed that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins to purge you and cleanse you, there was a new name, there was a new identity, there was new purpose, old things are passed away, all things have become new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You are in the process, you're, ch you're changing from that ugly butter, that, uh, uh, that ugly caterpillar into a beautiful monarch butterfly. There's a transition take place. There's a maturing take place. People can't see it because it's usually an issue of the heart. But in your heart of hearts, there's a transition. And the day is coming when that cocoon is going to burst wide open. And that beautiful butterfly is going to take sail and take flight. And then people will say, oh, there's a monarch butterfly. You're a monarch butterfly all the time. Before you and your mother's womb, God had a purpose and a plan for you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we cannot camp on the border of maybe or or, or, or kind of, sort of, it's time for us to push on and say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can be what God calls me to be. I can do what God wants me to do. Amen. People just get so confused sometimes in the rhetoric or in the, or in the definition of who you are and what you can do. 
the University of Texas did a research on the American bullfrog, and they came to Cleveland, Tennessee and got one out of my pond, and they put the bullfrog on a, on a place, and they commanded for the bullfrog to jump, and he jumped 12 foot, and they measured it, recorded it, documented it. They took a pair of, a little, a little knife, and they cut one of the legs off the bullfrog, put the bullfrog does any place, and told it to jump. The bullfrog jumped six foot. They, de- they documented that, recorded it. They took a knife again. They cut the second leg off the bullfrog and told him to jump. The bullfrog jumped three foot. They measured it, recorded it, documented it. They took, they took another leg off the bullfrog and said jump, and the bullfrog jumped 18 inches. They cut the last leg off the frog and said jump. The frog did nothing. They said jump. The frog did nothing. They documented frog with no legs goes deaf. <laughs> did you get it, Jackie? Did you get it? There's so many blondes here this morning. I really debated on whether to tell that to tell that joke or not. But I got Patrick and Ben here, and I want them to see that church can be fun and and cannot be boring. So, uh, if you if you go with me to where I really wanted to go today. But by, by the way, as far as we know, if you go with me to Second Kings, the 13th chapter, just a few verses over. Again, a passage of scripture that I have hammered concerning tenacity, determination, fulfillment of your destiny. Be a good time to talk about Thomas Edison, who I guess 999 times tried to get the light bulb to light up. It did not, but he kept pushing, kept, kept, the tenacity kept pushing. Two, two frogs fell into a, uh, a, an urn of milk. One frog gave up, went to the bottom and drowned. The second frog just kept swimming, just kept swimming, just believed there was a breakthrough. Swam so hard, he churned the milk, it turned into butter, and he jumped out. And that's the tenacity I think that God wants us to have. But when, but when God gave Elisha that double portion, your word will tell you in Kings, in Kings and Samuel that Elijah performed seven phenomenal, incredible, sensational Miracles. Most of you know the, the, the story of, of the miracles, the fire from heaven, all those things that took place. So it said it wasn't going to rain for three years. It didn't rain. It rained when he said it would rain. But if you follow the ministry of Elisha, the first thing he did was he made the bitter water sweet. He threw the salt in the water. And then, you know, he made the axe head flow. They were in a, they were in a famine, in a drought. He called rain down from heaven. Incredible, phenomenal things that he did. He spoke to a woman and said, you're going to have a child. He spoke to another woman and said, your son will live. So in the, in the lifetime of Elisha, he committed exactly 13 miracles. Elijah committed, committed seven. Elijah committed 13. And I so much, I so much wanted for my cousins to be here today to hear this. After Elisha died, and they buried him. A little later in life, there was a young man that he too died. And they went to put the young man in the tomb and they saw a band of, and they were under attack by the Ammonites and they saw a band of men coming and they were afraid they were gonna lose their life. So they just recklessly threw the body of this young man into the vault and it fell on the bones of Elisha. And when that dead, when that dead young man hit the bones of Elisha, he came back to life, which, which marked exactly 14 miracles. Elijah did seven. Elijah did 14. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his, his declarations. God told Moses, you'll see the promised land 
We know that Moses was buried. His tomb was never found on the other side of the Jordan. But there was a day when Jesus went to the mountain. And on that mountain, the Bible says that Elijah and Moses was there. Elijah and Moses was there with him. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather go into the promised land with four million whining, complaining Jews? Or would you go in the promised land and stand on the mountain of God and stand with Jesus on one side and Elijah on that? God always keeps his promises. Notice, if you will, 2 Kings 13. Beginning at verse 14. Oh, the point of all that, Debbie, was that all of my cousins, my sister was old. She passed away three years ago, so I'm, t I'm taking the oldest. From the oldest to the youngest, we were all impacted by the lives of our grandparents. Two of the most godly people, two of the most wonderful people. My grandpa loved to, he loved to tease, he loved to fuss, he loved, but, but you... But she knew he loved you because if you were gone a while, he'd start crying. Uh, Grandma was just, she was phenomenal, sensational. So even though they're gone, our lives are still impacted by our grandparents, by our parents, and how faithful God is in that, in that comparison. So notice, if you will, verse 14. Now, Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. We, we will all die, no matter how anointed we are, how blessed we are, how how great we are. Every one of us will keep that appointment that's been established since before we were born. And Joash, the king of Israel, who really was not a godly king, but in the time of trouble, in the time of attack, he ran to God like a lot of us do. And that's okay. The prodigal son went home because things were so bad. That's okay. The, the, the prayer of Hosea to, to Gomer was that her wine would become flat, her, her levers become uninterested, and everything she touched would be a, a, a hedge of thorns. And so sometimes God will use bad things to happen to turn us in the right path. Do I have a friend in the building that can relate how God has taken something? So Joash is running to God. They are in trouble. But notice, if you will, what he sees and what he does. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, watch again, my father, my father, exactly what Elisha said to Elijah when he departed. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. This godless king was allowed to see a prophetic image of this, of this chariot that took Elijah to heaven, that took, the, that took the, the whirlwind. And so this godless king sings this chariot of fire, the chariot of horses. And I'm thinking, how cool would that be? How cool would that be for all your life to be a punk? all your life to be a sinner, all your life to do the wrong thing, something bad happened, and you run to the house of God, run the things of God, and God has no respect for persons, whether you're 12 or 60, whether you read the Bible once or other, God has no respect for persons, but he'll allow you to show you his goodness and glory, no matter how far you've been away from God. That didn't cost anything. I just thought that I would throw that out there. Elisha said to him, take bow and arrows, and he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, put thy hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon the bow. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hand. So I've, I'm seeing this, this Elisha on his deathbed, somehow trying to form a hedge around this king to put his hand on the hand that pulls back the bow and the hand that pulls the bow. If you can see that with me, kind of overshadowing, just kind of, just kind of, a, kind of, kind of a hedge there. And they pull the arrow back, they open the window, and the arrow flies out the window. That is in verse 17, Elijah said, shoot, and he shot, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Apex till thou have consumed them. And then Elisha said, take the arrows. He took the arrows, and he said, the king of Israel, smite upon the ground, and he smote 
three times, and he stopped. And Elisha got very angry. Notice the word. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou should have smitten five or six times, then thou hast smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And the next few verses are the story of the young man that died, that his bone, the bones touched him and he came to life. The point that I would like to make here, I think, is a pretty obvious point. This king was a king of battle. And this king knew that a war involved several battles. If you defeat the enemy once, that's good. You defeat the enemy twice, that's good. But most of these battles took, most of these wars took four or five major battles. If you'll observe the Civil War, there are actually five battles that were significant towards the Union winning the victory. And certainly one of them would have been Gettysburg, one of them would have been at Chickamauga. But this king knew that he was at a place of war and he knew that God had promised him victory. But this king, when he smoked the ground with the arrows, he knew that this was going to be a war that would take five or six battles, but yet he only smote the ground three times. I think he knew in his mind of minds, Jarvis, he knew that every time he hit the, he hit the ground with the arrow, he knew that there was another battle. And I believe there are people in life that have become so discouraged and so frustrated with the war that's been raging against them that they've lost their determination. They've lost that eye of the tiger. They've lost that way of the eagle. They've lost that, that ability to, to, to charge the gates. The Bible says that the, even the gates of hell shall not prevail and to storm the gates. I think a lot of us have become, and like last night as I, as I reflected and I saw several people that I knew and several of the families I saw last night, I knew that, that their marriage had grown cold and I knew that that, that fervor, that love, that passion, that, that zeal had been lost and I watched last night all the zeal and the passion of court and angel and all the little, all the little things that, that make up the, the wedding and the ceremony and all of that and the vows they wrote. I mean, I don't know if they'll keep those vows, but they were pretty cool vows where they, I, I vow fiercely, okay? What kind of vow is that? What do you mean you, you vow fiercely? And I vow to, to honor and keep you. And they've been, so the past several days, they've been posting Angel's got like 10 promises in the past 10 days. I don't know if you've seen his post, but I promise to hold you in the blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, just pay the bills. <laughs> just, just, just pay the bills. Just, just stay out of debt. Just don't get a credit card. Just, you know, just, do the, just do the right thing. Just do the basic thing. But I watched last night as that, that intensity and, you know, they left with sparklers. I've never seen that before. I've never seen some of the things. I've never seen the sand before. This new generation, I guess, this new season, this new... And uh, I saw the, the sparklers as they, they, they left with the sparklers and they, and they drove off. They actually came back, but they did, they did drive off. And it's, and it's kind of like, you know why? Because they need money from Papa. That's why they, oh, yeah, we got a honeymoon. We need some, we need some money. Well, like I said, all I did all the past three months is simply this. I know what I'm good for. It's either a debit, a check, or cash. And the cash seems to go faster than the debit or the check. This king had lost his zeal. He'd lost determination. He'd become overwhelmed by the battle. But you got to realize and understand this morning that your walls are coming down. Your doors are going to open. The battle of Jericho was such a perfect illustration of God had got so tired of them nitpicking and, and just bad-mouthing and degrading and depression, half-empty, just everything that can go wrong, everything that will go wrong. And it's like, I think, I think that this, this generation is at a place where 
if we can teach them what to say, if we can teach them what to do, if they can see the power of God flow through our lives that we don't get up, get up we don't give up, but we stay tenacious, we stay focused. I believe that we cannot just pursue what God's called us to pursue, but we can raise up an army, this next generation, that will pursue and have a love and a zeal for the things of God like, like no other. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation in the house? That's pretty much all that I have, except for two things. This will be my first closing. I'm circling the airport. The man in the control tower says, stall a little bit. The runway is not clear. Something you will learn as you pursue this attitude of Elisha and as you pursue the attitude of, of the king, many times the burden will be as weighty as the blessing. Explain. Let me attempt to. When you go through bad stuff, whether it's a financial storm or an emotional storm or a marital storm or a spiritual storm, whatever you go through, it seems like attached to you is a weight and a burden. The Bible said in Amos, the burden of the Lord came to Amos. The, 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 the burden of Michele just, just surviving, just trying, to, just trying to get out of bed in the morning, just trying to, like Argent said, hold your head high, just trying to, just trying to be positive, just trying to be assertive. What I have, what I have learned, that, that the weightiness of the burden attached, when the blessing comes, it's like all that weightiness, all that all that all that heaviness, the same degree that it's applied is the same degree that it is lifted. And you feel like that once like a bird in prison, I, I dwell no freedom from the sorrow I felt. Then Jesus came and uh, something to me, praise the Lord, he set me free. Like a bird out of prison has taken its flight. Like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Like a poor wretched beggar found fortune and fame. I'm so glad I found that he could bring me out with his holy name. Say it with me. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Been washed in the blood of Jesus. Been born again. Hallelujah. I'm saved, saved, saved in this glorious power. I'm so glad I found that he could bring me out. Aren't you glad today, Debbie, that you have been set free? That you're free? That that, that burden is gone? It does not mean... Desperado, outriding fences, that tomorrow there'll be something else. And that's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Stuff's going to happen tomorrow. But you know what? you got enough on your plate today. Deal with today. Get through today and see if the promises of God are not new every morning. Amen. Great is his faithfulness. Do I have a friend Amen. in the house? In closing, this will be my final closing. I've been cleared for landing. I'm taking, we're let, we're letting the wheels down. We're getting ready to land this puppy. I am such a loyal, I'm just a loyal dude. I'm just, I'm just, I'm loyal to Taco Bell. I always get the same thing. I'm loyal to Cracker Barrel. I always get the same thing. If you go with me to Wendy's, I always get the same thing. I really, I really don't change a whole lot. Well, about 13 years ago, I became loyal 
to American Idol. And since then, I have met two of the finalists, drank coffee with Bo Bice, and we met at the airport, and you flew in from Elena. We met her. So if American Idol's on, I'm going to watch it. And we're going to vote. Our votes all cancel out each other. And we'll vote for three or four because we like them all, but, but, I am, but I'm involved. So there's a new kid on the block that I haven't really spent a whole lot of time with and really haven't observed and paid attention to, but the other night it was on, and so I watched it. And there were these tall, high-back chairs, and there were four chairs, and there were four judges, and the chair was turned not to face the, the, the platform, but to face the crowd. And as they were looking towards the crowd, not towards the platform, a girl, a girl, actually I think it was a, I think it was a guy, started singing. And he sings about a verse, a chorus, and then all of a sudden, the chairs start turning around. And, and, and I watched as all four chairs turned around. And the first chair that turns around you get that coach, and this program is called The Voice, and you could probably describe it a whole lot better than I can, but you've watched the whole series. <coughs> there are many people that feel they have to live their life to get the approval of others before they can pursue their destiny or their purpose. And I want to tell you that that show is so anti-scriptural. It's not anti-God, it's just anti-scriptural. The whole, the whole provision of the show is if you're good enough, you turn, the, you, turn the, you turn the chair around. It's never been a matter of being good enough. It's always been a matter of doing the right thing. Going forward in the boldness of knowing that the same spirit that dwelled in Christ dwells in you, that in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. When you begin to realize what the word of God has to say about you, you are the apple of his eye. You are that fragrance that he pursues. When Noah performed the sacrifice, the, 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 the smoke went up, got the attention of God. God was well pleased, blessed the earth, said he never destroyed again. You don't have to live your life to prove yourself to anybody or anything. You just have to live your life. These are good days. These are good seasons. It's a joy to be alive. And no matter how bad it gets, there's always someone that has a little worse. Jarvis, I once complained that I had no shoes till I met a man that had no feet. And if we have that mindset, if they have that attitude... We will rush out of this place. We'll take back what the enemy has stolen. We'll go into the next level that God has for us. Because, again, in closing, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Father, we thank you for this season. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you for hearts and ears that listen, for, for ground that's able to be watered and sowed into. Let something, let, let, let something today stand out. Let there be... Let there be a nugget. Let there be a, let there be a truth. Let there be a, an idiom. Let there be something that we would leave this place with. Not that we have to take it all in, but we could take part of it. What you spoke to us and what you confirmed in our spirit, let that survive. Let us water it. 
Let us nurture it like a, like a plant growing in the desert, the wilderness. Let us take care of it. And in your name, we expect you to follow up this word.